Hello, and welcome to a special edition of our show, Herstory on the Rocks, with Katie and Allie. Typically, just be Allie and I hanging out with a couple of cocktails, talking about famous women in history. But sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about history. We have a whole bunch of special guests here with us today. Sophia Lundberg, Allison Richmond, and MJ Rose. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Sophia, Allison, and MJ come from various corners of art and the literary world, but they're here today to talk about their upcoming book, The Friday Night Club. Can you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? Let's start with Sophia. (laughs) Well, I'm a Swedish writer, and I've been working as a full-time writer for about seven years. I've written eight books, or ten, or something. Yeah. (laughs) I used to be a journalist, so and and also a teacher. Ah, oh, great! <laughs> and uh, Allison. So, um, like Sophia, um, I have about you know almost ten books out. I think next year I'll have ten novels out. I write almost exclusively historical fiction. Um, most of my books always have um, someone who is creative, whether they're you know a painter, a sculptor, a cellist, a dancer, someone against history who is a creative type, because I like to see how art emerges against different political landscapes and challenges, how darkness emerges out of light, um, or how light emerges out of darkness. Uh, and I, I love to write. I mean, I've been doing it for 20 years, and I love writing historical fiction because I love to learn while I'm doing the research, and I love sharing that with my readers. Mm, perfect. And MJ? <laughs> Hi, um, I've written about 23 novels, and like Allison, I usually write about creative people, especially lately about jewelers and jewelry, and um, I usually wind up being inspired by a place or something that leads me into the story. Most of my books are a little more historical suspense than just historical, and I really believe that magic and mystery are all around us, and if I focus on magic and mystery in my books then hopefully I'm helping people notice all the little ordinary magic and mystery things in their lives that will make their lives that much richer. I also own an advertising agency specifically to help authors and publishers market books. And I have a little publishing company as well um, that we've had for about the last 10 years. So I'm a little busy. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it. So many books written by all three of you. This is incredible. (laughs) Well, before we get into this one that you have all joined together on, we have to talk about the cocktail we made for your book. Um, So this is obviously called the Friday Night Club, and it's based off of a cocktail I found called the Nordic Summer Cocktail, but I added two extra ingredients to make five total for the five (laughs) to talk about. So it is aquavit, lime juice, Aperol, maple syrup, and you top the whole thing off with club soda. That sounds wonderful. (laughs) How does it taste? It's delicious, of course. (laughs) And yeah, you're in the middle of the night and you're driving, so there can't be a lot of drinking. drinking. And Um, in, in Sweden, you would say school. Uh, before you drank the yeah, so you have to teach you some Swedish too. Oh, cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yes, it's cheers in Swedish. So before we dive into your book, let's set the scene. The book focuses on the life of Swedish artist Hilma of of Clint. Hilma of Clint. Is Hilma. that right? Hilma F. Clint. 
Yeah. Okay. I'm affluent. <laughs> um, what was life like for female artists at that time? Sophia, why don't you start since you're our Swede and why don't you describe yeah. a little bit of the landscape for Swedish artists during the turn of the last century? <laughs> yeah, I think it was very difficult for Swedish female artists at that time because um, the male artists got all the attention and the females were just like kind of working in the shadows, as did Hilma. And Hilma was actually, she's been, um, she, the, the fair tale about Hilma is that she was, this genius who was discovered um, when she after she died, and it's not really true because she was a part of the art scene in Stockholm, and she had a studio in the most important art building, and she was uh, spending time with all these artists, but she just didn't didn't get the the right amount of uh, attention. Mm-hmm. And a big part of this book is about her circle of friends who she created with, and they called themselves uh, The Five or The Friday Night Club. Can you tell us a little bit about this group and how they supported each other's art in a time where, you know, a lot of other people didn't really care to? (laughs) Well, I think, you know, we were so inspired by this idea of female friendship and how five creative women could come together every Friday night and to you know, their whole thing was that they were trying to communicate with the masters, you know, beyond in the universe beyond and to pull that information that they could glean from, you know, doing these seances and put it into the art. Uh, but along the way, they obviously had this deep friendship within each, with each other. Uh, Anna Cassell, who studied at the Royal Academy of Art with Hilma, um, their friendship existed even prior to these women coming together. And that was really sort of um, a beautiful thing to research because we were able to meet with or speak with uh, Marie Cassell, who is a great niece of Anna Cassell. Uh, but we love this idea of the fact that even in a time when women were supposed to really stay home, be mothers and homemakers and not have these very creative lives outside the home, that these five women were challenging um you know, the the mores of their time and really trying to carve out a life in which they could have a creative uh, life and experience. Not all of the women were painters. Anna and uh, Hilma were painters. Cornelia also had studied art and did a lot of the automatic drawings during the seances. But we also have a writer in the group, and we also have someone who was interested in obviously channeling and spiritualism. And so we really wanted to um, focus on that, that there's more than one way to be creative. And obviously, there's another storyline that I think MJ can speak to, speak to, which is about what it's like to be an assistant curator in the 21st century, which also was really interesting to weave in the challenges of, you know, bringing an art show to New York during that time. Prior to um, uh, starting to have these meetings with the five, they were involved in a bigger spiritual group in Sweden, which involved a lot of male artists and male writers. And for some reason, these women broke out from that group mm. and started their own group. And and so we can just, we don't know exactly why, but uh, we can, we think that they wanted to, to be able to create in peace and, and explore their own talents. 
Yeah, several years ago, Katie and I did an episode on Diablo Cody, who's the screenwriter for the movie Juno, and her and her friends would meet in a cafe every Friday and read each other's work. And it's just so encouraging (laughs) when you hear stories like that. You're like, oh, yay, I love that girl power friendship. (laughs) Um, MJ, could you maybe tell us a little bit about, so she's accredited with painting the first 10 pieces of abstract art. Can you talk to us about her work and maybe the nature of mysticism within her art? Sure. Um, She was one of about five artists, five women artists, who really um, used mysticism, were inspired by mysticism, who felt that they really were being communicated by the spirits. And the whole spiritual world was very active at the end of the 19th century. I mean, we've kind of always had a segment of it, but it was particularly active then, and it had a lot to do with science, oddly. Um, science breaking down a lot about religion. And as science broke down a lot about religion, mysticism came to the forefront. And um, it was very prevalent in all over Europe. And seances were being done by everybody from... Victor Hugo, um, helping, he was trying to reach his daughter drowned. They were party games and seances all over France and England. And it was just really a very big part of life for a lot of people. So it wasn't what Hilma and the circle were doing is sounds unusual and certainly was unique, um, the way they did it, but it wasn't that un- unusual for women and men to be involved in mysticism to the rate that they were. Um, she got she got very direct visions and messages from the spirit guides that she was speaking to. And a lot of them, there was one particularly odd, is that Allison and I saw the Hilma Afklim show in New York at the Guggenheim Museum, which, as many people know, is a giant spiral. And spirals are a huge part, as are many natural forms to Hilma's art. And Hilma was... The spirit told her that she created paintings that were a temple. To, and that was the same message that Guggenheim gave Frank Lloyd Wright about building the Guggenheim, that it was supposed to be a temple to paintings. And so 40 years before Frank Lloyd Wright ever heard of the Guggenheim Museum or Guggenheim ever thought of it, we have Hilma getting the same kind of message from the spirits and using the exact same snail form in her major paintings that were used to host her very first show in America. It's just a little, just one example of the really strange and unusual mystical things connected to this show, to the book, and to Hilma. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you brought up the Guggenheim because this book is a braided narrative, which I love in historical novels. And the other character is um, a curator named Eben. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why you wanted to include a modern curator and what you wanted to incom- accomplish with like his side of the story? So the idea behind the curator was when we started doing the research for the book, one of the things that we realized, especially after talking to Hilma's great niece, was that there's some really curious questions about the artwork itself. Um, did Hilma really do the painting alone? How many other people were involved of the five in the actual painting? Did all the right people get the credit? Did Annika Sells, was she a painter in her own right? Does she deserve more attention than she got? And a curator job is really to to research and really dig down and be the bridge between the art and the viewer. 
And we thought that having a curator would allow us to ask a lot of questions and try to find a lot of answers from a present day point of view that would lead to a lot of interesting facts about Hilma and how the art is viewed from the perspective of today. Because if we'd only written the book with the perspective of history, she hadn't yet become famous in the way that she's become. And in the perspective of history, you wouldn't realize, because people didn't at the time, realize quite how amazingly innovative she was. So by having a modern-day curator, we were able to expose and explore a lot of things about Hilma and the Five that we couldn't have if we stuck with historical fiction. I mean, if we stuck with history only. Right. And Sophia, so do you think that like in Sweden today, women are still kept out of the art world in a similar way or has it evolved in the past century? Oh, that's a very interesting question. I don't think it's specific for Sweden, but I, I still think that we have um, art and what's good in art and literature is it's resting on some old patriarchal structures that we decide what's good and what's not good and that makes I mean for example women who paint these shell forms and flowers and and that's women's things uh, but that's something that a society and structure have decided and it's 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 part of an old way of viewing art that I think is old but but I think it's the same all over the world that it's still there and we have to fight to to um, keep it keep it back (laughs) now Allison can you tell us a little bit about the writing process and how the three of you came together to write this book (laughs) well um it felt a little bit like magic I mean there were so many elements that I think came together to make um us write this book and um to have it you know actually pour out of us in a rather seamless way um as Melise had mentioned we had both gone to the New York um, exhibit, the 2019 exhibit at the Guggenheim. And uh, I've known Melise for, for a really, really long time. We both write about artists. We love um, beauty that surrounds us. Uh, I also had met uh, Sophia just about a year before the Guggenheim exhibit and immediately was drawn to her and her lyrical quality of writing. But at the, when I went to the museum that first afternoon, I noticed underneath the black and white photograph of, uh, of Hilma, there was this placard about, uh, the fact that she had had this Friday night club with four other women, but the women were not named. And so immediately I was sort of intrigued by, well, who are these, these nameless footnotes on this placard who actually helped Hilma or didn't say they helped her, but how they met every Friday night to do these seances and communicate with the spirits. So I called, you know, the first person I called was uh, MJ to say, wouldn't it be a great novel if you had uh, a book that sort of explored who the other four women who supported Hilma? And I think MJ piped in right away and and mentioned this idea of a curator, too, and having this dual uh, timeline. But because it involved a Swedish artist. I naturally also thought Sophia would be a wonderful collaborator in this book as well. And, you know, that she would probably be essential in the researching and in Sweden at the Royal Archives of, you know, to be able to to dig up about these four mysterious women that we didn't know anything about and to learn more about Hilma. 
So we all decided to sort of pull together and write a proposal to write to 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 write the book together, and we sold that. And then COVID came. So we actually came up with this idea before COVID, but then when we were thrust into this pandemic, when we were all sheltering in in place, it really became this lifeline between the three of us, these three creative women who were also trying to build something together that was going to be here, you know, long after we, you know, we departed the earth. So there had this spiritual quality too of creating this novel, exploring what these women did and what they left behind um, during a very fragile time in the world. And so we worked, um, you know, in Dropbox, you know, putting the manuscript and putting what we were writing, exchanging each other's, you know, pages and trying to seamlessly create the narrative. Um, and I think our our intention and our souls and our minds were really bridled, you know, together to to create what became the Friday Night Club. Mm. And when people sit down to read this book, because that just touched me, what you said about you three getting together to write about these women getting together, I got goosebumps. What do you want other people to relate to when they read this story, especially going through the world that we just all lived through? One thing, one thing is not about that, but one thing touches what I'd like them to know and think about touches on the other question you asked. Um, Art history is really the history of men in art. It really has not been rewritten. And one of the things that I really hope is that people start taking, paying more attention to all the really innovative women artists that there are. I mean, it sounds like we like to think that it's really like that. But when you look at like, if you look at art history books that kids are studying in college, they're still the same art history books that basically are 95% men. And I really hope that by bringing Hilma to the forefront with with Anna and and the other women in the group, that people start looking at other artists, rethinking how art really exists and how women really have shaped it much more than people give them credit for. Mm -hmm. And I would love to know, so you mentioned that Sophia was kind of the um, big researcher, kids. She's in the area so, and speaks the language. So, Sophia, can you tell us a little bit about the research project and maybe some of the sources that you had? Because I know the book kind of opens up with uh, two of the women burning some of the letters and the things that they had written. And, you know, so I'd love to know what was left if that really happened. Yeah, it did happen that that Hilma burned uh, a lot of her some of her notebooks and, and, and letters and such. And uh, we have, there is a lot of uh, books written about her in Swedish. Uh, some researchers has done um, analysis of the notebooks that she left behind. And so I read a lot about that. And I, I also, there's um, a magazine that Matilda and uh, Sigrid, the two women that are writers in the group, wrote for and those magazines are um still at the royal library in in stockholm so i could read their texts and get their voices and then i also found um, relatives of uh, both cornelia and matilda and um, uh, also we had uh, of course marie Casal, anna's niece and so i could talk to to them about how the women were and and the way we created Matilda, for example, her relative was very happy with that. And she she was smoking cigars and she was very a strong woman. And, and that had been told in her family for years. So they were very happy that we could 
bring her to life the way we did. Mm. And in general, when writing, I would imagine, especially operating over Dropbox, were you guys ever like accidentally deleting other each other's work? <laughs> well, I think, you know, I am probably the most technologically inept of the three. <laughs> uh, and luckily, MJ and Sophia were incredibly patient with me because there would be some days I would pull out the wrong version of the manuscript and do some writing into it and then realize I had made a mistake. And it, I think, you know, it was often Sophia who, in her very gentle voice, would be like, okay, let's figure out where you put your writing for today and get it in the script <laughs> and, you know. I, I, it was, it was a learning uh, curve for me during COVID to come up to speed with technology, but it, it, in the end, it did work out. Yeah. (laughs) Allison and I had daily conversations. Oh, we still do actually. We kept doing it after we finished the book, but that was, it was a lifesaver during COVID for me. Mm -hmm. This project to, to work on, it was really, it was really good those years. Yeah. And uh, this obviously, a lot of it happened online, but um, MJ and Allison, did you ever get to go over to Sweden? And, you know, did you guys get together physically, maybe go to some of the places that Helma would have gone to? Did you get to travel for this? Well, I actually had lived in Sweden prior to writing this book. So um, I'd actually been familiar with with, with Sweden. I have Swedish friends. Mm-hmm. We were planning, I think, all of us to go over and be with Sophia and to go to the island where the where it begins, you know, to take place in the first chapters. But with COVID, it was impossible. You know, the borders were closed, and so we couldn't travel. I'm actually going with my daughter to Sweden next month, so um, we're really I'm excited to sort of bring her to the places that are written in the book and. I know MJ can talk more about all the research she did online, but I, I know she was telling me before I go that I need to go to the cemetery where Hilma is buried, right? And uh, MJ, that's something that I think you've, I haven't been to before, but you think is really yeah. interesting. Well, I, I didn't, I wasn't there, but it, it still is driving me crazy. Hilma is buried in her father's grave and she does not have her own grave. She does not have her own tombstone. I just find it so outrageous and so typical of a patriarchy that this amazing artist is buried with her father without really, you know, you have to know where to go and you know, have to know what his name is. It's outrageous. It's, 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 it's in the book. I mean, the curator goes and, and he's astounded by it too. I just, it still makes me angry when I think about it. I, I have to explain just that it's very, very common in Sweden. I think it's wrong too. It's it's very wrong. But like, for example, when my, my grandmother died, my grandfather, who was still alive, his name was on the grave. And my grandmother was buried in the grave and he wasn't even dead, but he he had his name on the grave because that's how it was. And I've been talking to my mother about that, that we should just go to our graves and put the women's names on them. And she thinks it's a great idea. So I think, I think we're going to do it. <laughs> Very common to do it like this here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Graveyards are my favorite tourist locations. <laughs> I know that's a bit morbid, but, um, it's, it's very common to have somebody and his wife. I mean, um, F. Scott's. F. Scott Fitzgerald is buried near us and Zelda Fitzgerald obviously is also very famous and it's like his grave and then it's like 
And Zelda. <laughs> also <laughs> she has and Zelda because yeah, yeah. she does. Because on my relatives' graves, it's a, it's just a Nilsson's family grave. Mm. There's nothing about wives or who else is in there. It's just wow. a family grave. So yeah, that's it. Doesn't even say Hilma. No, no, that's, that's typical. That's the yeah. way they did it before. Yeah. Wow. Up until, I mean, my my grandmother died 1968, I think, mm. and they that was still the way they did it. Hmm. But this sort of substantiates what we're saying about women forgotten by history, right? The sense that a woman doesn't even have her name on a tombstone, that she's been erased in that way, and that it is this, you know, our responsibility when we come upon learning about people who have these incredible gifts and who contribute so much to whether it's the scientific landscape, the artistic landscape, the literary landscape, to really document what they did and share their work with others so they're, they no longer remain forgotten. Yeah, yeah. That's important for us to to keep these women alive because all five women had a, a very big. Um, uh, they were contributing to Hilma's art. Mm. Cornelia did the automatic drawings and and all the shapes that they used for the paintings. And Anna was uh, a, a very good painter too. So mm-hmm. it's important to acknowledge all of their talents. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you all coming together like the Friday Night Club did (laughs) and creating this book that is going to hopefully change people's minds about modern art. Because, I mean, she painted the first 10 pieces of abstract art. That's crazy. (laughs) But again, when you you see them in person, they are so like so large. They're over Mm -hmm. 10 feet high. I mean, they're monumentally powerful pieces that were done by you know women and it's so important to realize you know to change this narrative that mj was saying before that it wasn't necessarily a man who began the abstract movement we always think of kadinsky but in our book you actually see kadinsky appear and we allude to the fact that maybe he wasn't really the father of abstract art maybe it was hilma no, he he wasn't for sure. I, <laughs> we, we know that he was in Stockholm a lot to get inspiration, and and Hilma had her studio in the in the the hub of 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 the art scene in in Stockholm. So if he was here, here he was there. Mm-hmm. Well, we are so lucky to have. I mean, between the three of you, there's upwards of fifty books that have been. Yeah. Written. <laughs> so, thank you for that because we're not doing our share. Yeah. <laughs> Not pulling the weight. Um, Well, thank you so much for coming to us from all around the world. And we can't wait for this book and to be in touch with the three of you for all of your future work. So can each of you just kind of go around and tell people where they can find you and your other books and your social medias and then where they can buy this book? Our book, The Friday Night Club, launches on May 16th, and hopefully you can find it at, you know, your independent bookstore and all the major chains as well as online. And um, you can find me social media wise on Instagram at Allison Richmond, A-L-Y-S-O-N-R-I-C-H-M-A-N. And also at on Facebook at Allison Richmond dash author. Perfect. And Sophia, where can we find you in your other works? Well, I have two books published in, except for these ones in, in, in the States. And it's uh, the Red Address book and a question mark is half a heart. And then I'm on Instagram, Sophia Lundberg. So that's my main source of yeah, inspiration. Perfect. And MJ? 
It's uh, mjrose.com and all my books are listed there. And I'm on Instagram, mjroseauthor. And um, I have Facebook pages, but I'm really, really communicating most on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, but it's really Instagram that I like post things. Perfect. Well, thank you all again. We're hoping that this book changes people's minds about art and Swedish graves and (laughs) all sorts of things. (laughs) So thank you so much. Especially Swedish graves. Yes. And I think you created the perfect summer drink with the Aperol and the Aquavit and the lime sounds so great. And Aquavit means water of life. So I think it's the perfect drink to sort of get people thinking about, you know, life and creativity. So thanks for doing that for us. Yeah, yeah. of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having us so much. Uh, yeah, it was such a treat. Here. <laughs>